Man, it's so good to be in the house of the Lord today. And um, if I have not had the chance to meet you, my name is, is Phil Carroll. Um, I'm the student pastor here. Um, and my wife and uh, Lizzie have been here almost about a year. It's crazy how time has, has flown by, but we love being a part of what God is doing um, in and through Salem Chapel. And if you have your Bible today, we're going to be in Psalms 46. If you um, were here with us last week, we started a new series called Jaira, which literally means the Lord provides. And Aaron talked about how the Lord provides salvation for you and me, but today we are going to talk um, about through Psalms 46 about how the Lord provides strength. The Lord provides strength. You guys there? You ready? Let's read it. God is our refuge and strength, the very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the, of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage. The kingdoms totter. He utters his voice. The earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come and behold the works of the Lord. How he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes war cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns, chariot, the, burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Will you pray with me? God, I just thank you for today. I thank you that we can meet together in this room and, and hear from your word. God, I pray that as we, we hear from your word, as you speak today, God, that you would encourage us, that you empower us and equip us to go out into our city, God, and, and throughout whatever we go through today, whatever we're coming in today, God, I pray that you would be our refuge and our strength. Lord, we love you so much, and amen. Psalms 46 might be one of the most famous psalms in all of scripture. Barack Obama on the 10th anniversary of 9-11 quoted Psalms 46. Martin Luther, the great theologian, uh, wrote a song called A Mighty Fortress is Our God after Psalms 46. It was his favorite psalm in all of scripture. See, Psalms 46 is quoted on coffee mugs. It's written on sticky notes and placed on bathroom mirrors. It's written in a pretty font and maybe even hung up in your house. It might even be on a t-shirt that is found in your closet as well. And all of that is so good. I think it's awesome. But my fear here today is that as we discuss Psalms 46, that we would be so desensitized, so familiar with these words that we would gloss over the promises of God as we depend on him. I kind of think of it this way, that we see Psalms 46 kind of like the FedEx logo. You guys know FedEx, right? The shipping company. Here's the logo on the screen behind me. I heard the story of how FedEx got um, their logo. They were going through a branding change. They hired like this graphic company to kind of come up with a couple different logos, and they present them to the CEO, and the CEO looks over the couple different logos, and he goes... Man, I just love the one with the arrow in the middle of it. It should be back on our screen. But if you're anything like me, you have seen the FedEx logo a thousand times and never realized that there was an arrow in the middle of it. Now, we're going to do a social experiment here today. How many of you before today had seen the arrow in the middle of the FedEx logo? Okay, quite a few. Drop your hands. Who had not? 
Okay, that's crazy, right? That's the majority of people. It's the majority of people in the 9 a.m. had never seen the logo, right? I thought to myself, how in the world did I miss it? How did you miss it, right? How in the world could we miss something that was right in front of our eyes? How did we miss the detail that was right in front of us? It's because it was so familiar. Like, I didn't stop, I didn't take a further look until someone had pointed it out to me. And in the same way, Psalms 46 could be so familiar with. We could have heard God is our refuge and our strength. We could hear, be still and know that I'm God. And what we'll do is we'll go, yeah, 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 I get that. And is there anything else? Like, can we talk about something maybe a little bit deeper than that? I've already heard that. Can we do something different than that? And what we can do is we can miss the significance on how it affects our everyday lives. And here's the thing, if we truly understood Psalms 46 today and what it is trying to tell us, that it would change the way that we view our circumstances, it would change the way we view our storms that we go through, and it would change the way that we view even our struggles. That the promises found in Psalms 46 could, could save your marriage today could change your relationships with your kids. It could give you hope when you feel hopeless, provide you strength when you feel weak. See, here's the thing. Do not gloss over Psalms 46 today. Don't check out. Actually lean in with me as we look to our provider who promises us to give us strength. Strength. That the promise that we are gonna rest in today, the promise that we're gonna discover today is this, that the Lord provides strength for those that depend on on him. The Lord provides strength for those that depend on him. If you came in here today, you feel weak. You don't know where to go. Maybe life's circumstances are just pressing down on you. Maybe just everyday life of being a parent or a husband or a sibling or, or a child is just exhausting. Can I tell you that there's hope, that there's rest, that there's strength provided when we depend on him. And it reminds me, really, of the context in which Psalms 46 is written. If you look at the very top of Psalms 46, you will see this, to the choir master of the sons of Korah. Now, the sons of Korah basically were a music group of people at this time. They were the Salem Chapel Band for the people of God 700 years before Christ. And this psalm is actually a song. And many commentators, including Spurgeon, Spurgeon, including Luther, believe that this song came out of the reign of Hezekiah in 2 Kings 18 and 19. You don't have to turn there. I'm going to story that for us. And I believe that this, this story out of 2 Kings gives us like this context. It gives us this clarity to the beautiful imagery of Psalms 46. So, so let me explain it to you. Hezekiah is the king of Judah. So he's there in Jerusalem. And what has been happening is that the Assyrians, the Assyrian army, they were terrible people. They were obviously coming from Assyria, from the northern kingdom of Jerusalem. And they were making their way, way down from the north and destroying and desolating cities. It says that they were like locusts that were burning cities to the ground. And they were led by this guy named Sennacherib. Now, if you're about to have a baby boy, not the best biblical name. Let's move on. Let's choose another one, right? Sennacherib, not, not, the, not the one to pick. But up until this point, the Syrian army in Sennacherib have conquered and taken almost over 46 different cities on their way down Jerusalem. It said that they took over 200,000 Israeli say, slaves. And Habakkuk 1.15 actually recounts this historical event saying that Israel was helpless like fish 
And here's the reason why, because they would go into a city, they would conquer a city, they would round up the people that they were going to take as slaves, and they would take a hook and put it through their jaws and drag them away. Here's a picture of what that might even look like. See, these were dark days in Israel. There seemed to be no hope, and King Hezekiah and the people of God are inside the walls of Jerusalem. They're seeing the smoke of the other cities, and if you know anything about Israel, you know that the the cities were so close by. So close, and so they would have been able to see the smoke arise. They would have been able to to smell the desolation around them. They would have had stories of refugees running to their walls, saying, look what they've done. They've destroyed our city. They've taken our husbands and our children. The Syrian army, they continue to make their way to Jerusalem's doorstep. Hezekiah, he tries to prevent an attack And what he does is he goes into the temple of God. He strips the entire temple of all of its silver and all of its gold, and he sends it out. And as he sends it out, it still doesn't pay him off. It still doesn't stop the Assyrians, and they are continuing to come after Jerusalem. And this is what the Assyrians say back to Hezekiah and the people of God in 2 Kings 18. Do not let Hezekiah deceive you. For he will not be able to deliver you out of my hand. Do not let Hezekiah make you trust in the Lord by saying the Lord will surely deliver us. And, let this, and this city will not be given into the hand of the king of Assyria. Do not listen to Hezekiah for thus says the king of Assyria, make your peace with me and come out to me. So basically what that means, the king of Assyria is saying, look around you, look around me. Every other city around you has trusted their God and look where they are now. They're destroyed. They're slaves. He's basically saying, just give up while you have the chance. Wave the white flag and just surrender. See, King Hezekiah in Jerusalem, they're surrounded. They have nowhere to go. They've already tried to pay him off, and it didn't work. They're in this kind of situation where I just don't know where to go. I don't know where to turn, but I love this response from from Hezekiah in 2 Kings 19. He says this, Hezekiah received the letter from the hand of the messengers and read read it. And he went up to the house of the Lord, and it says he spread it out before the Lord. And Hezekiah prayed before the Lord and said, O Lord, the God of Israel, enthroned above the cherubim, you are the God, you alone of all the kingdoms of the earth. You have made heaven and earth. Incline your ear, O Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see, and hear the words of Sennacherib, which he has sent to mock the living God. So now, O Lord, our God, save us, please, from this hand that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you, Lord, are God alone. Hezekiah, he doesn't know where to turn. Doesn't know where to run. They have him surrounded. So what does King Hezekiah do? He he lays it out before the Lord. He turns to God. He seeks God as his refuge. And you know what happens? God provides him strength. How? Well, it says this, that that night the angel of the Lord went out, one angel of the Lord, think about that, one angel of the Lord went out and struck 185,000 men in the camp of, us, of the Assyrians. And when the people arose early in the morning, behold, they, these were all the dead bodies. Then Sennacherib, the king of Assyria, departed. Imagine that you're inside these walls. Imagine where you have nowhere to turn. You feel like your, your family members are going to be sent away as slaves, the city that you always knew was going to be destroyed. You had nowhere to turn. You've exhausted all other options, and you wake up the next morning. You look past the city walls, and you see the enemy is departing. How amazing is that? Hezekiah had nowhere to turn, so he turns 
to his heavenly Father. See, the Lord, he provides strength for those that depend on him. And this is so true in our own lives, that when we depend on God, he provides strength. That the strength doesn't come from within, like not within our own self, not within our accolades or our job or our finances, no, but in God's economy, strength comes from dependence. That we experience God's supernatural strength when we depend on him. This was true in Hezekiah's life, it's true in our life, and it was also true in Paul's life. This, this is what he says in 2 Corinthians 12, 19. Therefore, I will boast more gladly in my what? My weakness. You could also say I will boast more gladly in my dependence so that the power or the strength of Christ may, look at this, rest on me. Is this not what happened to King Hezekiah? He lays out the letter from the enemy and he depends on his heavenly father and his heavenly father provided strength. He provided Victory. See, it's not by our own strength, but by our dependence on the Lord that the way that we fight our battles or our struggles or temptation is not by our own strength, but by dependence. And church, if we get this, it would change the way that we would respond when life is pressing down on you and me. So the deep question here today is what are you depending on? What are you seeking to provide you strength when life's circumstances is pressing on you? When the pressures of being a parent are weighing on you? When you don't feel like you can pay for another tank of gas? Like when you're crippled by anxiety or maybe you're in the pit of depression, where do you run? Because the answer to that question tells you a lot about what you are putting your faith in. What are you depending on today? What are you running to today. See, Psalms 46, it was penned as a battle cry, a victory song that would be sung for generations in Israel so that the nation would never forget that it was not by their own strength, but that they were saved from the Assyrians from the Lord's strength that was provided by dependence. See, Psalms 46, it's trying to prove something to us. It's trying to convince us that we can depend on the Lord, that the Lord provides strength for those that depend on him. And Psalms 46 gives us three reasons why we can depend on him. And here's the first one. We can depend on him because he has promised to be our protector. This is what it says in the first three verses. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. And then it says, Selah. Nobody knows the word, what, what Selah actually means, but what they believe it's this, this moment of like rest, this moment of pause, this moment to really look up. The psalmist here paints a pretty grim picture, doesn't he? Like you can see how this might come out of 2 Kings 18 and 19. It's like the mountains be moved into the sea. The waters roar and foam at, it's almost as if he's like trying to uh, give us this end of the world scenario that the world is crashing down on us. And the psalmist is uh, urging us that when your world feels as if it is falling and crashing down, that when life circumstances are pressing down on you, that you have a dependable refuge to run to. That, that word refuge actually means a fortress, a fortified military building, a high and lofty place. Kind of reminds me of this one story. Um, 
uh, of me and my brother actually going rock climbing. And so me and my brother, he, he's pretty good at rock climbing. And so we end up going rock climbing somewhere around here. And uh, I can't remember the mountain. And so we get to the, get to the face of the mountain. And as we get there, we get all the gear on. We get all the stuff. And I'm definitely not nearly as experienced as he is. And so the, the objective of climbing in this moment is to get up to this like 200 foot, like guess basically like alcove in the rock. It's like this little like dip in the rock and you can anchor from there. So he was going to go up first. He just kind of stays up there. I climb up and then we kind of, you know, kind of lay down or rappel down, I think is the right word, rappel down to the bottom. And so he goes up and all is well and he gets up into um, the alcove. And so it's my turn to go. So I start climbing. I'm definitely like a little bit slower. And as I'm climbing up about 50 feet up, I look up and I'm like, man, that's, that's, there was like a small dark cloud, right? That kind of starts forming. And I'm like, I don't think anything of it. It's fine. It's like these days, you know, you just never know if a storm's going to come or not going to come, whatever. And so as I start to climb and I start to climb, I start to see about 100 feet up, that, that small dark cloud started to be like a really dark cloud, it started to drizzle a little bit. And I, I'm sitting there like starting to be like a little worried, like starting to have one of those moments of like thinking of like worst case scenarios. And as I'm thinking of these worst case scenarios, I'm, I'm trying not to exaggerate the story. I'm telling you, a lightning bolt came down. It felt like it was like beside me on this mountain and it struck and I, I, I panic. Like I paralyze, like I, I don't know what to do. Like in times of need, I'm not the person to rely on, right? If you were to faint, I'm like, I freeze. I don't know what to do. I panic. Like, don't pass out today. It's not going to be me who, who helps you. <laughs> and so, as, I, as much as I would want to, and, uh, as, I'm on this, as I'm on this rock, I'm 100 feet up in, the gra- up in the air, and I start to, I don't know what to do. I don't know where to go. And, and I look up to my brother, and I'm like, Stephen, what do I do? And in the most calm voice he could ever look down on me, he says, just climb faster. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, how comforting is that? Just climb faster. I can't climb any faster. You kidding me? I can't do it. But we get up to this this little alcove in the rock and this little crevice in the rock. And as the storm kind of comes by, um, (laughs) as much sin as I was repenting in that moment because I thought I was going to die, this little alcove started to become this little refuge, this little refuge to kind of hide in, to feel safe. And secure. See, I didn't have to worry about what the storm was going to do to me because I, I felt like I was protected. I was in a refuge. And I believe that even Psalms 91.1 brings even more color to God as our refuge. It says this, and uh, this is a verse that you could turn to that I would love for you to maybe memorize and even think about that. It says, he who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I love this picture because how is a shadow created It's when something or someone stands in the way of rays of light. When something stands in the the way and absorbs the rays of light, and as the the rays of light are absorbed, it casts the shadow. That Psalms 91 is saying that when we abide with Jesus, that when we walk hand in hand with him, it says that he stands in the path before us. As he's leading us, he's standing before us. It's almost like whatever might come our way as he's leading us, as we're walking with him, as we're abiding with him, it's as if he is standing in front of us like a shield, like a refuge to depend on and trust in. Psalms 34, 7 says this, the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers him. The angel of the Lord that had the power to wipe out 185,000 men, that is who encamps around 
you and me. He's a dependable refuge to run to. And then the psalmist, he then urges us in the next verse to look back. He says this, he goes on to say that he is a very present help in trouble. The, the word very present is, is actually translated to well-proven. Right beside that, that um, word in my Bible, it says uh, a well, or a, sorry, very pro, or present help. It has this little asterisk right beside it, and it has me go down and says, man, he's well-proven. That the Lord is not only um, a refuge, but he's well-proven. That he has proven himself, that he is reliable. How do you know if something is reliable? It has a track record. So Lizzie and I, we are, um, we're about to move to like another apartment. It's like a house type situation. It's just a house. And uh, as we're moving to the house, you know, you got to transfer like electric and water. And so I called the water company the other day and uh, we're starting to get the water set up. And she's like, hey, it's going to be $150 deposit. And she's like, um, but you can, you might be able to get waived if we like do a soft check um, on your credit score. And I don't know if you're like me, but I'm like super cheap. So I'm like, go girl, go run that credit score. I do not care if it knocks points down just a little bit. And so she goes and she runs the credit and she comes back on the phone and she goes, hey, your deposit has been waived. And I'm like, sweet, cha-ching. Like, yes, I got 150 bucks back in my pocket. But why was it waived? It was waived because she was, be, was able to look back on my history of paying bills and see that I'm, reliable, that I will pay on time. She can trust me because of my track record, because of what I have done in the past, and in the same way, we can look back on the track record of God throughout history and through our lives, that we can look back on God's word and how he protected the nation of Israel and the people of God, and we can see it in our own stories time and time again that he has come through as a dependable refuge. One of the most powerful reminders in our lives that God is a reliable and well-proven protector is our story. The moments in life where you had nowhere to go, nowhere to turn, but God protected you. I can think back time and time and time again of my own story, how the Lord protected me from my parents' divorce to failed relationships to sin struggles to even a Critics to Christianity class in college where he proved to me time and time again that I can depend on him as my protector. I'm sure you can say the same. What are those moments even in your life that you can look back on? John Newton, he says it this way. Through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. Since grace has brought me safe this far, and grace will lead me home. John Newton looks back on his life and says, Look what the Lord has brought me through. If grace brought me through that, grace will take me home. We can depend on God because he's our protector, a reliable refuge to run to, and not only is he our protector, but he is our provider. Let's look at verses four through seven. It says this, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the most Hi, God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage. The kingdoms totter. He utters his voice. The earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. The psalmist makes a reference in verse four of a river whose streams make glad the city of God. And what they are referencing here is that when the Assyrians would come and attack and sack a city, they would look for that city's water supply. 
And if they would find it, they would cut off that city from water, meaning that inside the walls, they would be without water and they would be without food, or fish kind of going through. So water meant life in the midst of the battle. If the enemy found your water supply and cut it out, cut it off, they really wouldn't even have to fight you because you could, they would basically starve behind the walls. What's so interesting about Jerusalem in this scenario is Jerusalem did not have a river running through it at all, but that there were these springs that were found in the ground outside of the water called the springs of Gihon. And so what Hezekiah is memorialized for today, what he, if you went to Jerusalem today and see what he is known for is he was actually known for these tunnels that took water from these springs that then underground took water into the city of Jerusalem. Here's a picture. You could literally walk these tunnels today. But they were these secret tunnels that the enemy did not know about that provided them with water and food so that they could last the battle that the tunnels provided for them. They sustained them even when the enemy was pressing down on them. And in the same way God provides for us, he sustains us like a stream bubbling up within us. He is equipping us, he's encouraging us, and he's empowering us through his word. That his word is like a well that in times of trouble we can run to, to be sustained and nourished. Jesus says it this way in John 7, that if anyone thirsts, Come, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. We not only can depend on God because he's our protector, but he is also our provider like a flowing river into our soul. Verse six says, the nations rage, the kingdom totters, he utters his voice, the earth melts, the Lord of hosts is with us. So think about this with me. The voice that spoke the earth into existence in Genesis one and created everything that we see even you and me can bring it down all with one word. Look at this. He utters his voice. The earth melts. If that does not shout that God is in control, I don't know what does. That God can speak things into existence, but he can also tear them down with one word. And the same God with one word could send one angel and defeat 185,000 men while you sleep. That same God speaks to us through his word and sustains us. And that same God also says that he will be with us. He says the Lord of hosts is with us, that no matter what you are going through today, that you can depend on the Lord, that he is in control because he is with you. He is on your side. Your circumstances might seem dim. You might feel alone, but you are not alone. The refuge that you run to the God that you depend on, that holds everything together in the palm of his hand, controls it with just a word. The God, that God is with you, just like he was with Hezekiah. And it reminds me of this, this story in Matthew 8. It's a pretty famous story, but Jesus and his disciples, they get into this boat, and as they're making their way across the, uh, the, the sea, this storm starts to pick up and arise. It looks like it might capsize the boat. And they don't know where to turn, and so they kind of try to find where Jesus is. And I believe in the most, like, this is the most boss move that you could ever make. But he, like, he's asleep and unfazed in the boat. Like, he's like, I'm not even, I'm not even phased by this storm. And so they, the disciples, they run to Jesus. And they go, Jesus, Jesus, like, help us. Why are you sleeping? Get up. We're about to be capsized. We're about to sink. I don't, we don't know what to do. And I just see Jesus in this moment. He's like, man, he's just, he's waking up. He's like rubbing his eyes. He's just yawning like a little bit. And he asked him, man, why are you afraid? Do you not have faith? And this is my translation here, but don't you know who I am? 
Like, I control these waves. Like, I made these waves. These waves, they obey me. Don't you know who is with you? I am God in flesh. And he rose, he rebuked the waves, and they stopped. With a word, they stopped. The disciples couldn't believe it. They marveled at what he had done. And he said, they said, who is this man that even the wind and the waves obey him? See, it's this man, Jesus, God in flesh, who beat sin and death, that calmed the seas, that healed the sick, that opened the eyes to the blind. That same man is with you and with me, that we can depend on him because he provides for us with his voice and his presence. See, the Lord, he provides strength to those that depend on him, and we can depend on the Lord because he is our protector, he is our provider, and he is our peace. That's my final point. He is our peace. Look at verses 8 and 11. It says, come behold the works of the Lord. I love that. Come and look at what he has done, how he has brought desolations to the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow, shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with the fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress because he is our protector in our provider, we can rest in our refuge and find peace. This word, be still, one of the famous verses in this passage, be still, comes from this word called rafa. It means to be weak, to let go, to release. And in the context of battle, what it would have meant, it would have meant to lay your arms down by your side or to loosen your grip. I love this imagery. I love the imagery of loosening your grip because isn't this how many of us respond when life is pressing down on us with clenched hands? We want to go to work. We want to control. We want to fix. We want to have our hands tight on the steering wheel of our lives. But the psalmist is saying, loosen your grip and know that I am God. Look at the posture this puts you in, a posture of dependence a posture of surrender. And the psalmist is saying, just stop. Put your arms to the side. Loosen your grip. Be still. Stop trying to do things on your own strength. Stop trying to run to other refuges other than God. Be dependent on him and know that he is God. Know that you are not God. You're not in control, but that he is and that he will be with you and it will produce peace. Church, we can trust him today. We can trust him as our refuge and our strength and he's calling us just to loosen our grip, to be dependent. The question is, is, is what are you being dependent on? What are you seeking to provide you strength when life circumstances are pressing on you? And I can't answer that question for you today. But what I can tell you is that the same God that saved Hezekiah in the city of Jerusalem, the same God that the sons of Korah remember and sing about, the same God that put on flesh and bone, that lived a life that we could not live and died a death that we deserved, is calling out to you today in the midst of your circumstances, in the midst of your struggles. And he's saying this, come and depend on me. Come and depend on me. Stop trying to do it on your own. Stop relying on your bank account or your accolades or your job or your kids. You say, no, those won't provide you strength. But in my economy, the way this works is you come to me like a refuge. You depend on me 
and and I will protect you. I will give you strength. I will provide for you, and I will bring your peace. Church, let us loosen our grip. Let's loosen our grip. Run to the refuge of our, our heavenly Father. Loosen our grip. Maybe in this next song, that's what you just need to do. You need to, you need to, you need to pray to God. Like God, I've been running to other things other than you to provide me strength, and I now know that those actually don't produce strength in the first place. I now know that only you can give me strength. My strength is found in dependence on you. See, the Lord provides strength for those that depend on Him, and we can depend on Him, Church because he is our protector, he is our provider, he is our peace. Will you pray with me? God, I thank you for today. I thank you for your word. I thank you for that you are reliable and strong refuge. God, that there are times in our life where we're like King Hezekiah, where you're saying, I don't know where to go. I don't know where to turn. Or maybe for us, our life is actually at a really high point. Things are going really well. God, I pray that you would still speak to us, that we would still just say, you know what? Every good and perfect gift comes from the one above, not from me. That it's actually when I find strength, when I find hope, when I find peace, it's when I rely on you, when I have dependence on you. Lord, would, we, would you continue to provide your strength as we depend on you? Lord, we love you. In your son's name, amen.